You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to 3 a.m., where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Gassaway. What's the scariest story you have? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3 a.m. is the result of asking that question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, and personal experience, the validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we might not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. Three, two, one. Let me know. Let me see if you run it, run it. Sorry. That was a good opening, though. Oh, what? Is that yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, I, I like that Despacito opening better. Okay. Three, two, one. <laughs> Gross. I hate it. <laughs> this is never going to happen. <laughs> Bro, how are you guys? <laughs> oh. Feeling sexy. I, Ooh. Have we talked about Montana? Nope. This is our first recording since coming back. The last episode, we said we were going to Montana on the weekend. We're going to go hang out with Jordan. And we say this every time, but one of the last times we'll see him before he goes to China. <laughs> and uh, we stayed at his grandparents' house, and they took such good care of us. And we just had a good time. Yeah, shout out them. They're fun. the real MVPs. So his grandparents live in Darby, Montana. You have to drive six hours from where we are. Seven. Up past Idaho. Sorry. Way out into the middle of nowhere. And you get to this little town, and I'm guessing 300 population in Darby. What would you say? We could we could look it up, but. Uh, it's probably close. It's a tiny town. I'd say five, 500, five or 600. There's a high school there, so. Yeah. True. I mean, they probably have. Did you like, notice that the high school was also the preschool, middle school, <laughs> and grade school? Because I noticed that. I was like, wow, this is wild. Bro, they got 779 people there. Wow. Half the buildings are like, they look like original buildings from the 1800s. They're like saloons. <laughs> and needless to say, I think DJ and I were the most ethnic people there. <laughs> Definitely in like a hundred mile radius. <laughs> yeah. There was one night where we were so hungry the grandparents made dinner, but we had dinner at like six on a normal time. Yeah. But we were on vacation and we're staying up late and it's getting close to midnight and we're like, bro, let's go grab some food or something. And there's no, there's not even a fast food joint there. Like the nearest fast food joint was a Taco Bell, like a half hour away, mm-hmm. which is what we ended up going to. But before we did that, we were just kind of driving through the town and there was just a bunch of bars. Some of them served pizza. So we went in. To see if we could grab some grub. And as soon as we walked into one of the bars, everyone stopped what they were doing and just stared at us. 
Bro, I was staring at us. I was like, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> it was straight yeah. out of a movie. It was like the record scratch. Yeah. And everyone just Crickets. like looks at us. Well, maybe if we were all wearing camel like them, they wouldn't have seen us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, interesting vibes. And, but Darby was way beautiful. Jordan's grandparents' house was way beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's like this cabin on its own plot of land surrounded by trees. And at nighttime, like pitch black outside like you put your hand in front of your face you can't see it right yeah so we were out there we just spent one day out on the lake kayaking then the next day we floated the river and uh kind of of. (laughs) yeah but no we just had a good time while we were there though uh our last night okay just to toot our horn a little bit more of how perfect this weekend was our very first morning we wake up when your natural body clock tells you to wake up, you know? <laughs> so no alarms. It was perfect. And we're all sitting on the porch. The air up there was so crisp. Just the clean. crispiest, dude. Yeah. The sun was just coming up. It was golden. There were hummingbirds, like, coming right up to us while we were sitting on the porch. I was plucking at the guitar. They have a huge wraparound porch, so mm-hmm. and there's like 60 chairs, so we're all just chilling, watching the sunrise, not talking. Mm-hmm. TJ's just serenading. <laughs> and Grandpa was making bacon. <laughs> and it, was, it was everything. But I left the guitar pick out there, and the night before we left, I was like, I need to grab that. It's Grandpa's, and I was using his guitar. And uh, when I went outside to grab it, it was, it was nighttime. Like we said, it's pitch black. Keep in mind, Jordan's aunt has seen wolves in this yard and moose. So it's like, it's yeah. wildlife. Yeah. There. Right before I opened the door, I was like, I could see anything. But the pig was literally like <laughs> 10 feet away from the door on like this coffee table by the chair I was sitting on earlier that day. So I open the door, take a step out. And as I'm stepping out, this white shadow no such thing as a white shadow but that's all i can that's the only words i have to describe it it's like a spectral image some blur some white blur flashed across from left to right like you're on the porch and then there's a couple steps that go down into the lawn the front lawn and right at the bottom of those steps is where i saw that white blur go from the left side of the steps to the right side the length of that being 10 feet and it crossed that in less than a second. And as soon as I saw that, I stepped right back inside the cabin, shut the door. Everyone's inside the living room, hanging out, chilling, just telling stories, cracking jokes, whatnot. And I turned around and I was like, I swear I just saw something outside. So naturally all the dudes get up all excited. And who was the first one? Was it Jake? I was Jake? I was downstairs too. It was probably Jake, uh, one of our homies. He's like, let me see this. And he walks outside. And a couple seconds later, he comes back in and shuts the door behind him. And he's like, dude, I just saw the same thing. And I was like, did you see the, like some white blur? Like the bottom of the steps He's like, yeah, it went from left to right. And uh, we were freaking out. So Jordan decides to try it. <laughs> Jordan goes out. And he sees it, but he stands his ground. Whoa. Yeah, he doesn't move. He doesn't come back inside like me and Jake. <laughs> um, but Jake does close the door on him. Oh, what uh, Jake's wife, Tenny, is like, 
no, don't like take that. <laughs> like, stop playing around. This isn't funny. <laughs> He's laughing, but we end up opening the door, and uh, Jordan's still there. He's fine. Oof, that was close, which is a relief. But when we open the door, Jordan's like, "Wait, do that again." <laughs> Turns out the white blur was just like a reflection of the light from inside bouncing out into like the yard <laughs> when we were opening the door to go outside. That's all it was. So sorry, I just blue balled all of you with that uh, five minute story. That's scientific was, method for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for twenty seconds, it was truly terrifying. I think it's an important aspect of scary stories, though, is being able to step back. And kind of think about it the way Sean thinks about it. Like, what could be going on? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. So, like, I bet 90% of the time, it's just the pipes groaning. It's, you know, some feedback from some electronics or it can be explained is what I'm saying. Bro, that's probably going to be my downfall. Like, last night, the sprinklers that we kept hearing uh-huh. were like, what is that sound? And I'm like, oh, I'll go check it out. Well, we that maybe it wasn't sprinklers. Yeah. It was, but like maybe next time it's not. True. I took a BuzzFeed quiz one time that said my famous last words were gonna be, Hey guys, look what I can do. <laughs> send it. <laughs> Sean is the true send lord of our group. <laughs> Freaking when you guys went to Tahoe, I was like, Maybe I won't go. And then one of you a holes was like, Sean probably won't come. And I was like, damn it, now I have to come. <laughs> DJ and I intentionally use that against you. Yeah. If we really want you to do something, we just say he probably won't. That's all we have to say. Yeah. <laughs> no, that were that was my exact words. I was like, I'm going to call Sean and say you won't, and then hang up. <laughs> Sean showed up 12 hours later. I kind of did. You say you watched some of the YouTube videos I sent. I want to just play one of them for you because it weirdly effed me up. Why we want to watch it then? I don't. I don't know. Maybe you guys won't think it's scary. Yeah, probably not. The only one that I went into was the Elisa Lamb one. Okay, cool. So, the other ones, no. Okay, Sean, what's the title of this video? Girls See Ghost and Run. Okay, so... Kid, kids see ghosts sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a video of these two little girls. They're probably like four. And they're sitting at this uh, table in the middle of their kitchen. It's like the little tykes table yeah. and chairs yeah. like to play house. And they're just hanging out. And their reactions to me are so genuine, it like creeped me the F out. <laughs> All right, let's see. So it. just watch. If you want to full screen it, DJ. Yes, yes, sir. Yeah. So she saw something. She keeps saying that scared me. I just turned off the lights, that's all. that's it they just cry (laughs) Sean you're a psycho I hate you Sean bro Sean's out of our reaction videos I know (laughs) our people are like trying to get scared Sean's like (laughs) (laughs) 
No, but for some reason, I was like in a dark room when I watched that, and it freaked me the f out because of the second girl scream. Mm-hmm. She's so genuine, and no. she's the one who was trolling the whole time. Yeah, yeah. So it's the two girls <laughs> sitting on the table. One of them is facing like they're facing each other. So one of the girls, her back is facing like a a walkway into a room where their light is off, and the girl, her sister, sitting in front of her, can see it behind her. She's the one during the whole video. She keeps saying, "I saw something. I saw something." And both the mom and the sister are just laughing at her. The sister's trolling her the whole time, just saying, making faces and like screaming at like trying to be scary. And uh, she ends up crying. So she leaves. <laughs> and then uh, the other sister keeps laughing. And then she turns around to look. And that's when I got chills is when she turned around. Because she's frozen. Yeah. And you could tell something's happening. Yeah, something's happening. And then she just breaks down into tears and gets out of her chair and sprints to her mom and other sister. She full on like open mouth screams. Yeah. If I was that girl, I would have done that to troll even further. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past you. <laughs> but did that creep you out at all? Rank out of 10. Uh, six. Okay. When I was alone today, it got me like an eight. Yeah. And it's weird because videos, I'm, I'm like, whatever. Yeah. But it just felt genuine. We need mm-hmm. to have that enhanced and see if we can see anything in the background. Zoom in. I, I was looking, like the whole time I had my eyes fixed on the room in the back, I couldn't see anything. Maybe if you enhanced it a little bit, maybe something. <laughs> we need to get like that military grade camera where they can zoom from two pixels to like a clear image of a license plate. You watch too many movies, dog. <laughs> That's CSI. <laughs> um that's cgi (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah just there like kids especially at that age you can't fake a reaction oh yeah no they're so young that that's why i was like the reaction is so genuine that's why it scared me i'm not saying their reaction means that they actually saw something like real but maybe it like it was something in their mind or i don't know they psych themselves out well the the other sister goes from like trolling laughing Mm -hmm. to hysterical yes and screams and she runs Mm -hmm. and it's like i don't know you unless you saw something you can't act that especially as you're a kid yeah if you're a four-year-old yeah sean disagrees (laughs) that could be coached (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh there's a story i really liked and it came with a photo and the photo is what makes a story to me so there's a single mom and she has a son and she works all day she works really hard to support her and her son she uses some of the money that's super important for their family and she buys a new phone. And this is back when you had like the Nokia brick, you know? Yeah. So like snake was everything. I always laugh when somebody brings up the Nokia brick because I had one in middle school. <laughs> and it just makes me think of, we would play full court basketball with it. Like throw it across the entire court and see if we, you can make a, like a shot. You would really do that? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, the court was outside and um, we were playing on asphalt. But uh, it would shatter into three pieces. <laughs> the body, the battery, and the back. Yep. <laughs> and then we'd throw it back together and it turns right back on battery at oh 90% gosh. after a week. <laughs> and then try to take another shot from across the court. <laughs> anyway, reliable. Yes. Yeah. So the mom's son knew of the Nokia's phone's fame. And so when she got home every night, he was like, can I play on your phone? Can I play on your phone? You know, he was so excited. Mm-hmm. She's super tired from her job. So she said, sure, hands him the phone, but you know, don't mess any too much up. And he's like, okay, I won't. 
she sits down on the couch and she's watching TV. He like runs back to their bedroom and he's just playing, right? Next thing she knows, she wakes up and it's a couple hours later. She's been sleeping for a while. She kind of gets her bearings, gets up, shuts the TV off, makes sure all the doors are locked, gets ready for bed and goes into her room and she sees her son on the bed fast asleep and the phone right by him. So she picks him up, puts him in his room, goes back to her room, sees the phone and and turns it on. And uh, she can see like he changed some of the colors, some of the themes, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, oh, just looking at it and, and just happy that, you know, her son's having fun. And then she flips over and she's looking at all these photos he's taken and he's taken a ton of pictures of himself. And then she scrolls down to the last photo. Maybe she doesn't scroll. She presses the button down to the last photo. <laughs> yeah. And she stares at this photo because it doesn't make sense. And the photo shows a picture of her son asleep in the bed. And it's taken from above the bed. And she's been asleep the whole time. And he's been asleep the whole time. And there's no one else in the apartment. And on the edge of the photo is the picture of this woman's face who's taking the photo. Have you seen it? I have seen it. Have you seen it? It's pretty creepy. Dude. That photo effed me up when I scrolled down and you see the lady's face. Especially with the anticipation of the how the story is told. So this is one we are gonna I'm gonna put on you. You have to look at this photo. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna put this on you, the listener. We will put it on our Instagram. Um so if you want to see the photo of this picture, we will put it on our Instagram somehow. Yeah. The the face to kind of describe is almost like if you've seen the purge the masks they wear almost like a hyper realistic depiction of an actual face and it's almost like uncanny valley they're not wearing a mask but that's what her face looks like something's wrong with something wrong with your face maybe that's what she's trying to fix she's like i don't look good (laughs) are you looking up the photo yeah bingo it looks like Slappy. That's what I thought. The clown, dude. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's crappy as... With that story, I don't think it's real. It's fun. But, like, the story ends at that. You know? Like, if that was the mom posting the story online, she would have follow-up. You know? Yeah. Of her looking around the apartment and at least saying, at the very least, I didn't find anyone or anything after looking in the apartment. That story creeped me out. Who knows if it's real? It is terrifying if it is. Yeah. Because uh, that's like the most vulnerable thing ever. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm done with my stories. We didn't even <laughs> do a question. Montana was dope. <laughs> we got a question. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, yes, yes. This week's question is... Today's question is... This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light lightness in my heart, my head, my emotions. 
if that's something that you are needing, if that's something that's missing, uh, give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, we want to hook you up um, by getting it off your chest. Uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet. Uh, go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am and you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3am. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. We really reaching the bottom of the barrel. My fat hand won't fit in this jar no more. Do you have... A hunch about the way you'll die. <laughs> that one's creppy. I'm like wincing at that. So do you? I mean, it's weird because you already talked about that for you. It's true. It's probably going to be something stupid. Sean likes to, whenever we're on hi- hikes, he likes to run as close to the edge of a cliff as he can because he thinks it's funny that people, it makes people nervous. I so actually, Sean's like, oh, I'm going to stand literally like three inches over the edge and like, why are you uncomfortable? Yeah. <laughs> First, yeah. one of all, that's impossible. And two of all, I just, you know, like living on the edge a little bit. Like, <laughs> I'm not anyway. saying I will die by falling off of a cliff, but it's... Sure, a good possibility. I've have I've had a couple experiences in my life where your mortality, you just feel it super hard. And one time I was driving on, on my scooter and I was going like 40 miles an hour. And in Utah, they don't require you to wear helmets. And as I'm coming down the road, I get the most vivid image in my head and almost feeling of me falling and smacking my head on the concrete. And my head just opening up like soup. And after that, I kind of stopped riding my scooter and I eventually sold it. And I decided to wear a helmet every time I'm on a scooter. That's wild. (laughs) Mine will probably be, well, if we look at how my last two weeks have gone, probably in a car related accident. A car related accident? What's happened the last two weeks? Well, I mentioned before I was carless. Last episode, I said I was carless and homeless. I have a car. <laughs> you got your car back. I got it back. It, it, it was impounded. Okay. <laughs> um, I did get it back. Homeless. I mean, I'm just crashing out of a friend's place right now until I can move in into my new place. So. So that's how you're going to die. But thanks for the love. Uh, I don't know. It's just the first thing I thought of because that's, <laughs> that's what was going on in my life. I don't know. Sean's going to die of cholesterol. 
cholesterol. He's going to have a heart attack. <laughs> I was a thinking something attack. gruesome. I guess disease is gruesome. Diabetes. <laughs> Diabetes. Diabetes. Sean's going to die of the most boring way possible. <laughs> no, dude. Old age. If I find yeah. out I have like a disease, I'm jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> Just to say, fuck you, disease. <laughs> anyway, that's creepy. Would you rather know the day... Hold on. Would you rather know the day you die or how you die? Yeah. I'd rather know the day I die. That's kind of where I'm leaning to. Yeah. How I die would make me scared to do that. True. You know? What if it was like... like yeah, well, it was like sleep. Oh, like, I can't sleep yeah. anymore. If I knew the day I died, I don't know. I feel like my sense of urgency would just go up 100%. Right. Probably start going out on dates again. <laughs> <laughs> probably start trusting. Probably start uh, opening not up. Not being afraid of commitment. Being vulnerable. <laughs> Sharing feelings. Yes. Anyway, thank you for the question, Char. Hmm. And now, (laughs) (laughs) stories. Actually, your picture story reminded me of another story. And it's the story of this guy who decides to go solo backpacking. And right there, like, kind of something creepy to do. Would you do that? I would hella do that. I don't know, dog. We talked about this before. I'm not down with that. Oh, I would definitely do that. I have done that. You're a freak. Last time we (laughs) talked about this, you said you would. Solo backpacking in the Canadian wilderness, not doing oh, it. Oh, backpacking? Solo backpacking. And I think he was there for three weeks. Yeah. We talked about solo camping is what I'm thinking of. Um, I could do that. Either way, I would be down. Like, you just got to be prepared. If you're prepared, you shall not fear. Oh, gosh. I hate you. You're so <laughs> dumb. Okay, so this guy, he goes out backpacking in the Canadian wilderness and He's probably out there for about two or three weeks. Only sees two or three people the whole time that he's out there. Now, honestly, so out in the middle of nowhere, he just also never expected to see anyone. But he's like camping, backpacking. He's got his digital camera with him. He's taken tons of photos the whole trip. And he's taken so many he doesn't even look at any of them. By the time he gets home, though, he decides to whip out his camera and start going through the photos. And he's seeing all the wildlife that he's seen, all the places he's been. And he scrolls across these photos of him sleeping on the camera and just sends chills up his spine because he really only saw two or three people. Mm -hmm. So one of those people probably... Or one of the ones that came across his tent and decided to start taking pictures from his camera. From his camera while he's sleeping. I mean, first of all, that's creepy. Hell no. <laughs> See, this is why I would not go out. See, I'm a light sleeper though. Like, if someone's so like I. within a hundred yards, a hundred miles of my tent, I'm like, <laughs> same. Who is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that's just that creeps me out a little bit, dude. Bone chilling. If you're just swiping and you see that. Like, that's the scarier part, seeing that after the fact, because everything has already happened, and you had no idea. Ugh. It's like a toy. It's like a power move. Ew. <laughs> oh, I dude, I, I'm going to do that next time. <laughs> oh, we should have done that to Jordan. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite comedians, Dimitri Martin, talks about how he would put messages in a bottle, and he'd take like 20 of them to the ocean. He'd throw them into the water. He would just like chill at the beach until somebody finds one. When they do, 
they take it out of the water, take the note out, and he'd run up to them, stand behind them, and they would read the message that says, I'm right behind you. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so dumb, dude. <laughs> Damn. Um, this is crazy uh, that you've shared these stories. And for all of you out there, just a tiny look into like the production of this podcast. <laughs> if you've listened to us before, you know we don't have like a specific theme we focus on in an episode. I mean, we name our episodes after <laughs> recording. And in fact, we try to keep secret from each other what we're going to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a genuine first time I'm hearing it. Yes. Yes. So we don't like coordinate with each other a type of story or anything like or that. topic or... Our, our rule is to come prepared with at least one story. So kind of funny that you guys are sharing these stories about being in the wilderness because that's exactly what my story is today. <laughs> Uh-huh. So when you guys asked me like what I was going to share tonight, you were like, do you have stories? I didn't want to tell you because I do the same thing, DJ, where I come open and I wait till I like feel the mood. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, ooh, I'm going to share this one. I have a couple, but this was like the main one that I was hoping to share. So That's it dope. just segues perfectly. This is known as the Dyatlov Pass incident. Dyatlov Pass incident. So I'm guessing uh, that took place probably somewhere in russia um georgia uh close <laughs> close to the country of georgia actually um at this time it wasn't russia it was the ussr bruh i know my ussr though <laughs> mostly Wait, russia ussr <laughs> lose that, that m bison <laughs> when did they become russia and 19 19- 87. You're sure? No. <laughs> I have no you idea. bastard. <laughs> yeah, no. I was like gospel. I remember the hearing that sometime in history class. 1991. 1991. That's recent, dog. Dope. Yeah. So at the time, it was the USSR. So this incident happened in 1959. Ugh. It involved nine experienced cross-country skiers and hikers. Seven of them met... Seven of them men, two women. Um, their whole mission was to reach a mountain peak within a mountain range uh, called the Ural Mountain Range. They, they projected this excursion to take 16 days. And within those 16 days, they had to cover 190 miles. They all attended the Ural Polytechnic Institute. So they all knew each other from this institution and uh the leader of the group his name was igor dyatlov so this pass was named after him gosh dyatlov pass so something went down something went down yeah so apparently he was one of the more experienced ones in the group which is why he was leading it he was a a fifth yearer at the school a fifth year prefect (laughs) so um they set out and i don't know why but they set out on January 23rd. Into the mountains of Russia. Into the mountains right, of dog. Russia. And I was looking at where this mountain range is, and it's about 900 miles east, northeast of Moscow. So, like, deeper into, like, central Russia. Good hell. Yeah. In January, winter time. So, I was looking up the weather 
it, it, within January in the northern part of the Ural Mountain Range, it ranges from negative 15 to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit. Hella comfortable. <laughs> yeah. So they knew what they were getting themselves into, and they were prepared for it. So they thought. <laughs> like I said, this was supposed to last 16 days. They left on January 23rd. Their final point that they were supposed to get to after they've summited this peak, there was like a little village nearby that they would go to and send a telegram to some of their people, just letting them know that they're okay. That telegram never came at 16 days. It didn't come at 20 days. Almost a month later, people were getting worried because they haven't heard anything from this group. So on February 20th, nearly a month later, they launched a search operation. Six days after this operation started, they found their tents. And the tent wall was sliced open. And not, not a good sign already. From their investigation, they could tell that it was sliced from the inside. Mm. As if they're getting out. Ugh. Inside the tent, they found all of their belongings, including their shoes. A day later, they found two bodies a mile away from that tent lying by a campfire. They confirmed that two of them were part of the original group. Their bodies were stripped almost naked. They were only wearing their underwear. After they found their bodies, a criminal case was opened. In the next few days, uh, three more bodies were found, including Igor Dyatlov. And the last four bodies were found a few months later in May after all the snow had melted. Three months after this search operation began, they closed the case and concluded it as a spontaneous power of nature did this to them. All of them died from extreme hypothermia, but the other things that they found on their bodies didn't match up to really anything. One person's skull was damaged and they... I guess the coroner found that it was damaged right before they died. Another had chest fractures caused by a force comparable to that of a car crash. One of the girls was missing her tongue, eyes, part of her lips, as well as facial tissue and a fragment of her skull bone. All of their bodies had small traces of radiation on them. Well, that's probably just natural in Russia. Maybe, especially at that time, you know, second baby formula, but even with all of that, they just closed the case as a cause of a spontaneous power of nature. But in February of this year, they reopened the case and, and they're sending out teams to continue the investigation. Dude. And I, I tried looking at why they reopened it, but just reading into the history of it all, especially how they found some of their bodies. Why would you leave your tent, cut it open, leave your shoes, just wear your underwear? You know, some of their bodies were, like I said, mutilated. So there's a ton of different theories. First thought people thought was an avalanche. And actually that last group probably died from an avalanche since they couldn't find their bodies until all the snow had melted. So people are saying maybe they... There was foul play, and they murdered the others, you know. 
Um, I do know when you're experiencing hypothermia, a very common side effect is you start to feel extremely hot. So even though you're dying of cold, your body feels like it's burning up. What a weird sensation. So a lot of people who are dying of hypothermia are found stripped down naked or close to naked. Mm -hmm. So it, it sounds like a little bit like that could possibly be explained bits of that story, but definitely not everything. That sounds suspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially with the one girl who was missing like her tongue and her eyes. Everything sounded standard until you started naming her. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's creepy, bro. Missing a tongue is scary. It's so, I don't know. It's like everything. So I'm excited (laughs) to see what they can possibly uncover on this, but in Russia during the war, do you know what they said the scariest thing in the world to see in Russia was? What's up? A fat man walking down the street. Explain. Any guesses why? Because um, they're not from there? During the war in Russia, they would eat. There was no food and everyone was starving to death. Mm-hmm. And so if you saw a fat man... That meant that he had turned to what a lot of people started to do to survive. And that was eating people. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. Yeah, it was like a thing, bro. And so people were legitimately afraid of anyone who like didn't look like they were starving to death. You got to survive. Russia's a hard place, so I hear. (laughs) If it came to that, the only way you would survive is cannibalism. Would you? I don't know, man. (laughs) <laughs> like Sean, if you're gonna survive and you Sean know you're casually, gonna survive why yes. not well i i guess i just complicate things by adding all these different factors like if it's only your family with you versus strangers more likely than probably <laughs> let's say you're starving to death they're starving to death and they die right in front of you of natural causes yes because they're already dead if they weren't dead we're drawing lots would okay here's a question would you want me to eat you if you died first and it's you and me in a pass if i knew i was gonna die before you guys and i was gonna die in one hour uh-huh. you guys would die tomorrow yeah unless you eat me and survive like three more days until like a search and rescue party comes i would say bro just eat me okay let me die first but yeah, first. Yeah, yeah yeah that that's me so like if i was in your shoes and i had to eat my friend with that exact same situation, I, I probably would, yeah. But you best not pick up that rock and smash me in the head before my time, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll watch you. Yeah. Stay back. <laughs> Another, this is just a little tidbit, but there was a serial killer in Russia back in the, U- what it was, the USSR. And a lot of people started disappearing and they realized it was around the train station. Ooh. And I believe he got the name of like the Siberian werewolf or something like that. Oh, that's dope. But this pro- this person probably sucked. <laughs> Bro, he was terrifying. He was he was a cannibal and like an insane one. Mm-hmm. So they'd find bodies just mutilated and parts of the body just gone. And he was eating them. And they freaking find out he's a part of the party. He's a part of the government. Oh. And I don't think justice was ever served. Wow. Probably not. <clears throat> that doesn't surprise like, me. But if he's part of the government, wouldn't he be like taken care of? Wouldn't he be at the top taking from everybody? Well, he wasn't <laughs> killing. Like thing, yeah. He wasn't killing for food. He was killing because he was a psycho. Oh, yeah. just as a sport. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Oh, this is dark. That's fun. Have you ever heard of Albert Fish? Uh, uh-uh. keep going. Dude. I'm gonna just going to name gonna... this episode Dark. Yeah. Do you want the extensive history of Albert Fish or the highlights? Let's get that Cliff Notes version. Okay. Albert Fish is a super notable, probably one of the most terrifying serial killers that I can think of. I'm going to put him as the most terrifying serial killer you'll ever read about. He's the type of serial killer, and I know this is weird to like rank them because killing is bad. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But his crimes, for some reason, put such a dark mood and feeling into me that I've never felt before. Mm. So I will give you like the soft rundown of what he did. But he targeted children. And he too, he was a sadist and a cannibal. The worst thing he did. Explain sadist. He was into a sadomasochist. Sadomasochist. He was into like pain, inflicting pain and on himself too. Um, He had a full on family. He was a freak. He was a male prostitute for a while. (laughs) Uh, he served his family only raw meat. Um, and like I said, he targeted children. So he m- was out and about in town one day and he sees this little girl with his mo- with her mother and he fixates on her immediately and he has to have her. And so like a true psychopath, he approaches the mom and convinces this mother, his poor mother, to let him take her daughter to his granddaughter's birthday party. I mean, we can all say that's so stupid, but hindsight 2020, right? And sociopaths are straight up very persuasive, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so who knows? I, it, yeah, terrible mistake. And in, in fact, it turns out to be the worst mistake of their life because they never see that girl again. Mm. They never see her, but what they do see is these letters that start coming in the mail. And the first one, there's a series of letters. And basically, they start outlining graphically what he's doing to her. He didn't kill her at once. It was like months. So it started with torture and all manner of abuse. And then when he, she finally like couldn't handle it and she died, he graphically tells the mother and father which part of her body's tasted the best and what he prepared it with and how he ate it. And for years they would get these letters and he would remind them, you let, you gave me your, you gave your daughter to a monster that day. Like you did this to your daughter, bro. That's heavy. That's just like one thing this dude did Mm. and he did a ton. But when they finally got him, he's in jail and they're going to give him the electric chair. They sit him down, they hook him up, and they throw the switch. It shocks, and he's getting shocked, and the chair, like, overrides. Yeah. It, like, shorts out, and he's not dead. So smoke is, like, rising from his body, and they're, like, looking at him, and he's all types of effed up, but he's not dead. And he looks up at them, and he's, like, all effed up, and they throw the switch again and kills him. Postmortem, they do an autopsy. They figure out the reason why he short-circuited the electric chair. He had shoved hundreds of metal pins into his gooch. Oh, my. Wait, how do you Bro. insert that into your gooch? 
I don't know. He was just pushing p- metal pins into like his taint. So he was just full of metal because he was like into hurting himself. But yeah, that's Albert Fish, everyone. Damn. <laughs> Damn, bro. How do you, how does somebody get to that point in their mind? When I was 16, I watched like a four hour documentary on Netflix when Netflix was lawless on serial killers and it focused on serial killers who were also cannibals. And after four hours of watching this, I was like the darkest I've ever been. And I just walked outside and looked in the sun and I was like, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) So I know like a weird, before it was cool, I know a weird amount about serial killers. (laughs) Like, and it was way before it was trendy or cool. Have you ever heard of Charles Ng? No. I-N-G? N-G. But it's pronounced Ng. Nung or Nga? <laughs> no, no. It, he's a Vietnamese. Yes. I think he's a Viet. Just Nung. Well, everywhere I've anyway. looked it up is Ng. I could be wrong. But? I know someone who has a personal experience with him. Whoa. Who's well, him? Who, who was he? He's from Northern California. And he was telling me this story earlier today. Oh, my God. And about two minutes into the story, he got a phone call, and he had to go back to work. So I don't have the rest of the story until next step. But oh. <laughs> but well, <laughs> just pulled a Charles. But give us a basis of like who Charles Charles Ng, Ng as far as I know, yeah. is a serial killer from Northern California where he and a partner of his would take these people – in threes, they would take a mom, a dad, and a little kid, and they would usually kill the dad and the kid pretty quickly and then keep the moms alive saying, if you want to ever see your family again, you have to do this or you have to do this, just like super creepy stuff. And apparently, one thing that he would do out here in the middle of Northern California where it's lawless is he would put the severed heads in his front yard out in the middle of nowhere, like in near Murder Mountain area. What? Wait, what? What? Wait, <laughs> wait, what? Murder Mountain area? Yeah, you ever heard of Murder Mountain? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a documentary on Netflix. This is 2019 that this is happening? No, no, no. He was arrested in 1987. So he was at large in the mid 80s. Still not okay. to be putting heads in your front lawn i will have more information for you next episode oh my gosh i'm gonna piggyback off of that uh (laughs) and i'll piggyback off of you okay (laughs) not with that specific person what was his name charles ing everywhere i've seen it it's charles ing charles ing no but someone similar who's as sick and twisted and got to do it to 10 million people huh this whole event was known as, or has been called, the Hidden Holocaust. Oh. So this is a story of King Leopold II of Belgium. Have you ever heard anything about him? King Leopold II of Belgium? Yes. This isn't very known because at the time, Belgium was fairly new. And he lied to all of Belgium about what he was doing. So he was painted in a really good light. And what year was this? Okay, so this actually happened in... Uh, he became king in 1865. Okay, 
and he died in 1909. So in the course of 40 years, all of this happened. And nobody really found out till maybe like the last 10 years or so. And even when Belgium found out, they still kept him in a good light. The government decided to keep him in a good light. And I'll explain why. It's not justified, but there was reasoning behind it. I just shook my finger into the mic. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Um, Okay, so King Leopold becomes king, or Leopold becomes king, Leopold, in 1865. And um, he was obsessed with colonization because at the time, that's what all the big and powerful countries. That's just what the whites did back then, they were, bro. <laughs> they were getting powerful because they were colonizing were everywhere. Colonizing out there. So Belgium being a new country, he wanted to raise a standard and be rich and powerful and a big player in the game. And what he did was he got in contact with a man named Henry Morton Stanley. Now, Henry Stanley, I believe, came from England, and he did a ton of work in Africa, just studying the people, the culture, their resources, all of these things. And he went back to the queen and said, we should colonize Africa because they have all these dope things. Queen wasn't down with it, but King Leopold heard of his studies and his uh, his writings about how rich Africa was with these resources. Mm. So he got in contact with, with Henry and commissioned him to start colonizing in the Congo. Now, when this man gets to the Congo, he basically instills in all of their minds that white people are almost like gods. And he does it through like stupid, like street magic bar tricks, like He'll say bullets will go right through us. He would give somebody a gun who's never shot a gun, you know, or you show them how it works, you know, on a tree or something like that. And you give them the gun and you'd be like, shoot me. But he would take out like the bullet beforehand. So it's just a blank. Yeah. It's just a blank. And then he would like fall to the ground and then get up and then like take the bullet out of his stomach, like fake it and then have it in his hand and all these stupid little tricks to make them believe that you know these white people are like gods Mm -hmm. and they can't be killed and just from that the congo entered into a contract but they didn't really understand what was in the contract at least the entirety of it for sure but this allowed for the beginning of this colonization so king leopold started recruiting young strong men from the congo and started creating an army. And they were known as the Force Publique. And he wanted to... How he painted it to the world, he was saying that he was just spreading Christianity. But it was much more than that. <laughs> what a bastard. Yeah, I know. I hate this dude. <laughs> so he's raising this army, and he's slowly like visiting... Parts of the Congo, villages, towns, cities, whatever. And he's recruiting more people and he's capturing all the women and telling the men at the time rubber was he's capturing all the women and he's forcing all the men into basically slave labor. And what they were laboring for was rubber. Hmm. The Congo had a ton of rubber 
The Congo had a ton of rubber trees. Okay, wait, I'm sorry. Rubber comes from trees? I didn't know that until <laughs> until I was what? reading this. Yeah, so um, the Congo had a ton of rubber trees. And at the time, you know, vehicles were starting to be made, you know, around the world. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge demand for it, but they didn't really know where to get a lot of this rubber. Here we are in the Congo with an abundance of it. And he would tell the men they need to harvest 15 kilograms of rubber a day. If you didn't, we'll cut off the hands and feet of your wives and daughters. And in fact, there's a picture of a man sitting on the porch of his house looking at his daughter's hands that were severed Mm -hmm. because he didn't meet his quota. So this is just an example of uh, some of the terrible things that they've been doing to the people uh, in the Congo. They're basically just taking over different towns and forcing the men into slave labor, telling them to harvest these resources. And they would turn these resources around into money and go right into Belgium. So Belgium started getting a ton of money because they are, you know, bringing in all of these different natural resources for people all around the world. They're looking for this. And, um, that's why he was painted in a good light. They didn't know he was doing like how he was getting this rubber. It's like, oh, we're getting rich. Yeah. We're getting rich. Nice. Yeah. Um, the soldiers that they recruited. So like the young men, uh-huh. uh, from the Congo, what were they called? Justice public? Force public. Aye. They weren't treated like regular soldiers who came from Belgium as well. They were also treated like crap, but, you know, they were still on quote unquote Belgium side, mm-hmm. you know, enforcing this new regime and colonization. They were told to conserve ammunition and to kill with only one shot if they had to. As proof... They were required to bring back a severed hand for each bullet fired, Oh, you know, to their general. You know, they say, like, I'm down six bullets today. Here are six severed hands. This led to them cutting off the hands of living people when they were wasting ammunition. And they would get paid based on how many hands they would bring back. What? So it was almost like a bounty. That's an incentive. Yeah. An incentive. Exactly. It didn't take much time until they enslaved the entirety of the country. Yikes. And within 30, 40 years, an estimated 10 million people were murdered. Jeez. Um, yeah. They also sparked a war called the Arabian-Congo War because Arabian merchants found the Congo as well mm. and wanted to start harvesting them and bringing it back to the Middle East. And Congo was like, no. <laughs> like... They already signed a contract. This is all ours. And they got into a fight and there's a huge war in the Congo. <laughs> so that also adds to the numbers. Yeah, yeah. Added to the numbers. But that was, that was King Leopold. That's that was wild. Um, the way he got caught there kind of outed as a piece of trash. Yeah. Um, people in the far West. So the Americas were just starting to, like visit vacation whatever in like all around africa including the congo and an american journalist found out what was going on in the congo jeez and right before he well he started writing like an article you know to release to say what they were doing 
But Leopold found out about this man. But he didn't do anything except offer him a ton of money and say, just keep quiet and all this money is yours. He flees, goes back home, refuses the money, and starts his own publication about uh, the development of different parts in Africa and the current events there because he thought it was important for the world to know. And one of his big focuses was Belgium and uh, the Congo. And that's how everybody started finding out. And his wife was a photographer and she documented a lot of what was going on. So it gave him credibility. Dang, yeah. Because if it was just his written words going up the word of a king against the word of a king, it wouldn't have done much. But his wife is the one who captured the picture of that father sitting next to his daughter's hands. It's really sad. And I debated putting it up on Instagram, but that's probably... It's heavy, dude. Too graphic <laughs> online and yeah, inappropriate. But bro, how did how how do we not know about that? How do we not learn about that? That's wild. That's Wasn't that crazy. the subject of the movie Tarzan? Are you being serious? <laughs> I think it was. Like the live action Tarzan. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. <laughs> um. Yeah. Like I said, Pel- Belgium painted him in a good light at the time because they didn't know when they found out. <laughs> It is the plot of Tarzan. Is it? Yeah, dude. So Tarzan is about the Congo and King Leopold? Yeah, it's about the Congo and King Leopold's guy wow. around in, in the Congo who's trying to like get people to give him their stuff. But this is the live action, not the cartoon? Yeah, this oh, is the okay. live action one. Oh, okay. okay. So I was like, like, no, bro. <laughs> you're like, I've seen that movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to say, I don't remember anything about that in the cartoon. That went right over my head. <laughs> Clayton. Yeah. Clayton. But that's wild. Like there's golden statues of Leopold in Belgium. Still. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yikes. That's no bueno. Yeah, dude. <laughs> no mas. No mas. <laughs> no mas. Frick. That's I heavy, mean, bro. here's the thing. We kind of do the same thing with Columbus. We have a holiday for him, but he's responsible for genocide of the Native Americans. I hear not a lot of good things about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially now within like because of the internet, social media, mm-hmm. and it's easier to cast your voice out into the ether for everyone to hear. So, Hence I mean, Native this. Americans probably all had this problem with Columbus Day for a long time, but now they can voice it out to all of us. You know, mm. that's, hmm, that's similar to recently, just with new inventions and pushes of technology, we have what's called LIDAR. And it's like a mix of lasers and radar, and that all sounds like BS. But they use planes and drones equipped with LIDAR to basically map out certain plots of land. And they've been doing it in the Amazon. And underneath the thick of the Amazon, they're finding cities, buildings that are just covered in in trees and forestry and nobody knew about these because they've been hidden but what in the 1500s i believe uh spain sent out some of their explorers to the areas surrounding the amazon and they came back with reports and writings of thousands thousands and almost even millions of people inhabiting these cities They're flourishing and had a ton of resources. 
and uh, they were just killing it out there. Um, and then when the Spaniards went back, none of these cities were there. So they just chalked it up as like a tall tale. But we're just now finding these cities and we have proof of them. And we're also finding that like smallpox or foreign diseases is what got rid of all these cities within the span of like 10 years, you know, all these cities and people just died from the foreign disease that the first explorers brought when they first found them. So that's why when they went back, there was nobody there because in that time span, it was just diseases were introduced that were foreign to them and they didn't have any cure for it. No way to defend it. And they all died off. Uh, with that LIDAR, they had said that within like the first week, they had done more than 15 years of like archaeology. So there's this huge swath of land in the Amazon that uh, up until now they thought was completely uninhabitable because the rainforest was so dense. And it's under this uninhabitable, dense rainforest that they're finding that these cities and it's estimated that they would have hold, held over a million people in this place that they thought was uninhabitable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, history books out the window, bro. <laughs> we'll see. So we're talking about LIDAR and I have something completely unrelated. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot it. While I was reading stories today, I kind of had a weird series of events. So I want you to think back to Leah Hardy's episode. And she said skinwalkers do this certain action a lot. And one of the things they do is they tap on your window. And that's like something they're known for. Or they'll run alongside your car on the freeway and they'll tap on the car. But when she said tap on the window of your house, I had to use all the effort in my body not to interrupt her because it reminded me of something I had heard as a child. Today, I'm reading all these different stories and different experiences, and I come across one, and it said, I had a lot of experiences with what I call the tapper. Hmm. And so second time, jog the memory of the, the story I'd heard as a child. And I immediately called my cousin, and I said, do you remember this story from when we were little? And he goes, yeah, I do. And so as I'm standing in my garage, he told me the story. So my cousin's cousin. I'm smiling from here <laughs> here right now. I'm just excited for this. I'll go back sometime and tell you about the tapper. But we're not talking about the tapper right now. We're talking about my cousin's cousin who grew up on an army base. And it was a super slummy army base. So they lived in an apartment there. And in that area, people had been getting murdered. Um, it had been happening enough that they knew someone was doing it and this person didn't always murder their victim, but he would do the same thing. And that was, he would approach their windows at night while they're sleeping and he'd wake them up by tapping on their window. (laughs) And they, they couldn't tell how he was getting in. Have you ever seen that tool? That you can get for your car. Like the mm-hmm. long thing that just. No. Not like the thing that unhooks it. It has like a. It's like. 
you like pull a trigger and it has this metal uh, spike that hits the window. And if you barely do it on a glass, it will shatter the whole mm-hmm. glass. Oh, yep. okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So they theorized he was using that or a glass cutter to get in. So my cousin, his cousin, um, I'm just going to call him M. So they're on this slummy army base up in San Francisco area. And so M was sleeping by himself and they're on the, the ground level of this apartment building. And he was in his bed alone and he's facing the window, his bed, and he's falling asleep. And all of a sudden he wakes up and for no explainable reason, he has an overwhelmingly sick feeling inside of him. Like something's weird. So he looks around the room and he's young. He's like eight or nine. He looks around the room and he's super creeped out and he finally lands on the window and he's just staring out the window and you can see the shadow of night outside. And as he's staring at the shadow, it's getting closer to him until the outline of a man is standing at his window. And he said he is petrified. He's frozen with fear. And so there's the outline or the silhouette of a man at his window and he sees it raise a hand and it goes on his window. And so he did what I think a lot of kids do. He throws the sheet over his head. And then the dude is like, oh, damn. I can't, I can't get I to can't this get kid. <laughs> nope. Checkmate. <laughs> See you later. I mean, if only we're that easy. So he throws the blanket over his head and he hears again, distinctly and louder, on his window. And he knows, like, people in the area know this person. They know that people are dying, and it's this guy who's tapping on windows. Mm-hmm. And he has a choice, either lay under his blanket, or he's got to do something. And in that split second, he decides, jumps up in his bed, throws the blanket off, turns the light on, and yells for his dad. And he sees the figure run away. And his dad comes in, and he tells his dad through tears he's bawling. And, you know, it takes a while for his dad to believe him. But eventually, he's so freaked out and so persistent that he believes his kid. And I th- I think they said M slept in his parents' room for, like, two years after that. But next day, they go outside. They can just see the ground. It looks like someone was standing at his window. And that's it. Hmm. That's pretty creepy, though. Some fool out there just running around tapping on people's windows, looking around at you know who, grabbing oh, his you know what. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, just going through all the stories. There's there's so many good ones uh, that everyone has shared so far. One of my favorite ones that I came across was of a guy and his friend. They they loved hiking, and there was a specific spot. This is like while they're growing up. Um. There was this one spot in the woods that they would go. It's like their little hideout, little secret spot. That's what's up. And uh, it was maybe three quarters of a mile. And they had to walk through the middle of a creek uh, and go through a bunch of like sharp bushes and thistles. It was kind of tough to get to, but their spot was really cool and really rewarding once you were there. And uh, the spot was about half an acre big. And it was basically just pure green grass on an incline kind of on a hill and there's uh, a bunch of ponds everywhere uh, with clear water and it's really beautiful. 
um, and a ton of wildlife as well. So they just loved going up there to chill and hang out there. But uh, they were in the middle of the valley and in their time that they've been to this place, they've never seen anybody there. But while they were walking, his friend stopped moving and ducked into a bush. And he did the same uh, because just instinct. So his friend like moves all hella fast and he mm-hmm. just follows suit. Yeah, he follows suit and uh, he thinks it's like some large animal or something, you know, uh, that they that they came across. Uh, but as he's watching his friend who ducked under the bush, he like peeks over and looks up the hill. So he looks too and he sees two people standing at the top of the hill heaving back and forth. A lifeless body. What? And they watched as this, as these two people threw this lifeless body down the hill. And it bounced off trees and eventually got stuck on a tree at the bottom. Ugh. And the two people at the top of the hill took off. Disappeared. Hmm. So just watching that, they were terrified. And he was shaking. He could barely speak. And his friend walks off kind of hurriedly go look at what it was uh no so he gets about five feet away and he turns and starts sprinting the other direction screaming i just saw that it has a nose it's real run so they're sprinting they're running they're running uh they glance back and they see the two people run back to the top of the hill they're back at the top of the hill and they run this like Three quarters of a mile, mile through this thick brush. They're exhausted. The day finishes. The next day, they're with his parents. They're talking in the car. And they drive past. Going into town, they see like 10 fire trucks at the school that's like closest to this forest. And uh, they couldn't stop thinking about (laughs) the day before and what they saw and what happened. So immediately, he starts crying. And then he confesses. What they saw, not that they did anything wrong, but they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, he was afraid that he was going to get hurt. Like the two people at the top of the hill knew who they were, Mm -hmm. somehow found out that they were going to get murdered, you know. And the mom starts laughing. And she says, they're training for a search and rescue. They're using dummies that firemen had to find. (laughs) (laughs) That's so stupid. <laughs> Dude. Thank goodness those kids got some closure. Otherwise, they would have just been like demons when they grew up. Some PTSD. <laughs> That's so funny. So, Get wrecked, kids. Not everything is as it seems to be. That's all I got. Uh, on that note, I kind of have one that like, I'm just going to give another one. Last one for me tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <clears throat> About five years ago, my mom started dating this guy she met on a dating site. Mm, that's your first mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that part is fine. I had recently started a dating a woman who would later become my wife, and we had met online. Mm, All farmers refer- only. <laughs> Sponsor <laughs> us, please. Meet and mingle or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Christian and mingle. Grinder is what I hear the kids are into nowadays. <laughs> He said, that's fine. I'm just going to refer to her as my wife through the story. Anyway, my wife and I never really liked this guy. We didn't think he was mean or anything like that. He was just a little creepy. 
he was really quiet. He kept his eyes closed a lot. And occasionally he said odd things like offering my wife a chocolate and then popping one in his mouth. (laughs) He would close his eyes and moan as he let it melt in his mouth. Oh my god! Uh, I know these people, Sean. I, I know. No. <laughs> just like they don't rub you the wrong way. Yeah, they just rub you weird. Yeah. Oh, I feel, what? bro. What? You just don't want any rubbing from them. <laughs> oh, I pictured this person perfectly in my head. You like can't put your finger on it, but you're like, I just hate everything about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, one time my wife and I were visiting my mom but she had got called into work. So we waited at our house. Her boyfriend was over there, but he spent the entire several hours just hanging out in her bedroom with the door closed. Just before Christmas, my mom and this guy started having some difficulties. My wife and I were visiting her for the holidays and she dropped all of her problems on us. And we listened carefully and we told her her our opinions and suggested that she would be better off without him. She already had made up her mind though um, and decided to break up with him on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Savage. So we spent the night at my mom's house. Merry Chrysler. <laughs> we spent the night at my mom's house and we got up early on Christmas morning to visit my dad at his house. We didn't plan to spend the night at my dad's, um, but we got snowed in. So the next day we left as soon as we could, got through the snow, and my wife suggested that we stop by my mom's house on the way home so we could see how she's doing. My wife had a really bad feeling about my mom's now ex-boyfriend. So my mom's car was in the driveway when we pulled up, but that didn't seem to mean much because she lives close enough to work that she often walks and it hadn't snowed in her town. Um, She also never locks the door, which really upsets me. So we let ourselves right in. When we walk in, we see blood oozing out of the refrigerator. It's coming out of the refrigerator's water dispenser. It had filled up to the spill container and was leaking onto the floor, and it had made a huge puddle. My wife screamed, and I freaked out. I fully expected to see my mom's head in the freezer. I reached towards the freezer, and I pulled it open, and I found a bag of frozen cherries that had been opened crammed into the freezer and it fell into the ice dispenser and melted. I hate that. (laughs) I hate that so much. His mom was okay. The creep was gone. Nothing happened. Gosh, damn it. (laughs) I thought you were going to tie it off with a scary story since I tried to end it with a bamboozle. (laughs) Nah, bro. Double bamboozle. So many blue balls tonight. (laughs) Dude, as a kid though, I would come home all the time and this is probably not a rational feeling or thought, but I would walk into my house at like 2 a.m. in the morning and it's dead silent and I would fully expect just to like smell blood. And I was like, everyone's going to be dead. This is going to be the night that a serial killer killed everyone. I guess that's just anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> but like every night I was like, I was like so scared that I was going to walk in on a horrific murder scene. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone out there. <laughs> If you have any stories you want us to read or tell on here, send them to 3ampodcaststories at gmail.com. Yeah, this has been good. We got more coming your way. So, in the meantime, trust your gut. Watch your back. Bye. Love you. Be safe. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Peace.
Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew. But after reading police reports, it became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story.